by this, the long chain omega-3 fatty acids were introduced into human nutrition, research, science, and also into human food. Because from that on, which took rather many years, it was broadened out so that today we realize that, first of all, the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids have a lot of biochemical effects in our body and are essential for healthy life. Hello, and welcome to the science and the story behind Omega-3, a podcast brought to you by Wiley Companies, where we explore one of the most researched nutrients on the planet. Listen in as global omega-3 experts and researchers translate the science, reveal personal insights, and share their stories of discovery while navigating the sea of omega-3 science. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's your host, Greg Lindsay. Welcome back to another episode of the science and the story behind Omega-3, where we talk with experts from all over the world. Our guest today is considered by many to be the father of Omega-3s. His pioneering discovery of marine-sourced Omega-3s in human heart health set the trajectory now 50 years of clinical work with Omega-3 fats. He is Professor Emeritus at the University of Copenhagen, Having been awarded the Living Legend Award by the International Union of Nutrition Scientists, he is truly a living legend. We are thrilled to welcome to the program Dr. Jorn Dyerberg. Welcome, Dr. Dyerberg, and thank you so much for being here today. Your groundbreaking work has been an extraordinary contribution to the field of omega-3 research. We're excited to hear where the science and the story behind omega-3s began. Dr. Dyerberg, I recently saw a letter to the editor in Nature that paid tribute to your discovery in first publication in 1971, which was 50 years ago this year. The results of your research were published in 1971, so obviously the story started well before then. I'll probably ask fewer questions than I typically do on this program because I want to sit back and hear the story of how and where it began and hear about your journey. Okay, yeah. You want to hear about my omega-3 fatty acids? Of course, it's a bit ridiculous for, for me to say my fatty acids because I was not the guy that first saw them, that we have something like long-chain omega-3 fatty acids in the nature, in our food. But I happened to have the privilege to be one of the two that introduced the concept of long-chain polyunsaturated rated fatty acids in human nutrition and their meaning or effects. And it all started way, way back more than 50 years ago. I was a young doctor on the training as an internist in internal medicine, and I spent years on internal medicine departments and had to supplement with pediatrics a year, neurology a year, and then half a year on a department of clinical chemistry. And I appointed a a chief there, Dr. Bang, and he was interested in coronary heart disease and blood lipids. And I got interested in that too and started my thesis work on a new method for determining lipoproteins in blood. 
I made a brand new method, and it was mobile. I basically lipoproteins were determined by uh, ultracentrifugation, which needed huge technical apparatus and things like that. But I made a new method that could determine lipoproteins in plasma. And while working on that, suddenly in May uh, 1969, there was a lead article in our Danish periodical, medical periodical, weekly periodical, saying that we should look at our coach citizens in Greenland because Greenland was at that time a part of Denmark. Now it's a sort of Commonwealth relationship. But at that time it was Denmark. And the Inuits or the Eskimos living up there had another disease pattern. And among the things that were strange they wrote in this uh, editorial was that they had a low incidence of coronary heart disease as far as they knew could find out in spite of living on a diet that was traditionally very high in fat because they lived from seal and seal blubber and fatty fish. And the only thing at that time, way back in the 60s, 1960s, we knew about risk factors for coronary heart disease was high fat diet will increase your cholesterol and increased cholesterol will increase your risk of getting coronary. So Dr. Bang come to my office and said, Dr. Dyerberg, at that time we were not on first names. We were more formal at that time. This new method, we have to go to Greenland and examine the Eskimos and find out how come that they don't have coronary heart disease to that extent that we have down here in spite of a high-fat diet uh, they are eating. And of course, a young doctor in his late 20s having the opportunity or seeing the opportunity to go to Greenland and do dog sledging on ice and over. I mean, that was science, but that was far more the experience maybe that, that caught me. And I said, of course, let's try it if we can collect some money for that. And we managed with Dr. Banks' help to collect, I guess, $6,000 or something for three persons to go to Greenland for a month and a half living up there, flying up to the main American Sunostromfjö airport and being taken by boat up the coast and landing in, in Umarak, uh, the heart mountain area, and uh, settled down and got in contact with the nurses and the doctors up there and managed over a month to travel from one settlement of Inuits, Eskimos to the other, consisting of 50 to 100 persons living on remote islands with their enormous amounts of dogs for their sledging and living from fish and seal they caught in the, the immense ocean surrounding them. And we managed to take blood samples from 130 Inuits or Eskimos. At that time, we always called them Eskimos. Today, this word has got some sort of a negative flavor. I don't know quite why, but it is so. So even if we at that time said Eskimos, which I think is an Inuit word for people living from raw meat or something, yeah, to Inuits, which is a circumpolar determination of the Inuit people. 
Uh, and we managed to get 120 samples of fasting blood from Inuits, Eskimos, living in remote areas of Greenland in their original way. Not from Western diet, but from seal and blubber and fish and whatever, sharks and whales and whatever you can think of. And we came back home and we determined their lipids and lipoproteins and published it in 1971, the, the work that Nature later refers to the first one about blood lipids and blood plasma lipoproteins in Eskimos. And we found that their blood cholesterol was lower than Danes, but not to that extent that it could explain their nearly non-existence, which what we found out by looking through journals and, and see, uh, at the hospitals and at the doctors in, in Greenland, not, not enough to explain the difference. Uh, so we actually, in this paper, as referred to in Nature paper today, uh, said that, that there needs some extra explanations. And then comes that Dr. Bang had an old gas chromatograph that could determine plasma fatty acids. So we just started out on a two-year journey of determining the fatty acid profile of the 120 samples from fasting Eskimos that we had, just simple to examine the fatty acids, not because we had any suspicion that this would give us any explanation, but because we felt that we had the obligation to publish the results because no one would ever be able to collect from genuine Eskimos or Inuits fasting samples. And so whatever we could examine, we shoot and publish. And then we published that, the fatty acid pattern of plasma lipids in Greenland Eskimos in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition a few years later. And among these, there were two we had never seen before. And I went to Hormel Institute and met Brad Holman, a gentleman at that time who knew about fatty acids. And he said, Jorn, these two fatty acids are icosapentaenoic acid and docosahexaenoic acid. And I said, say it again. And I learned to, to express these two strange names, which today nearly each housewife and knows because uh, she has to be sure that her baby or kids get enough DHA and, and her husband gets enough EPA and whatever. But I've never heard about it before. And we nobody had been interested in them uh, in respect of human nutrition and risk of coronary artery disease. And then came some new results coming up in The Lancet, where we published our first paper, from a group uh, of Swedish researchers and British researchers, Vane and Haldane uh, and whatever, uh, saying that in the blood, the omega-6 fatty acid, arachidonic acid, not omega-3, but omega-6, arachidonic, can give rise to prostaglandins that regulates blood clotting. They found some prostaglandins that promoted blood clotting, and they found some prostaglandin that inhibited blood clotting. And there was a sort of balance from this omega-6 uh, arachidonic acid that has 20 carbon atoms and four double bonds. 
that regulated blood clotting tendency, and suddenly we got the idea, what if the omega-6 family, especially EPA, had another balance between promoters of clotting and inhibitors of clotting? And we started with that, and I got in contact with Dr. Wayne at Welcomes in, in Britain. And uh, re I remember I was over there for a meeting, and I was a young student, and I called Professor Wayne at his institute. And finally, the secretary said, uh, Dr. Wayne can give you five minutes. Okay, I said, I have to really give him, because he was the king of that. And then I started talking. And half an hour later, John said to me, John, where are you sitting? I'm sitting in a hotel in Central I'm sending a cabin and getting you out to me. And then he sent a cabin, and I was taken out to welcome research in Beckenham. And we started a co-work that ended up with a paper in the Lancet showing that from icosapentanoic acid, you could get formed in your blood prostaglandins that had another balance towards clotting tendency in favor of not clotting. And myocardial infarction and coronary is a blood clotting in the coronary arteries. So if their diet high in these two new fatty acids had an other pattern that favored a decrease in blood clotting tendency, they would have two symptoms, a bleeding tendency and a lower incidence of blood clotting, for example, myocardial infarction. So the next expedition with Bang and I and our co-workers was to Greenland to examine the blood clotting tendency in Eskimos, and we measured blood clotting and, and bleeding time by making small incisions in their arms under control condition and with a blotting paper measuring the seconds it took until the bleeding stops. And then we read the literature that it was well known that Greenlanders and Eskimos or Inuits on the expedition had a tendency to nose bleeding. And, and researchers going up there for half a year and more and doing expedition to the northern parts of Greenland and northern part of, of Canada, when living on uh, Eskimoic diet or Inuit food, they experience the same a blood clotting, uh, lowering, bleeding tendency. And we published a paper in The Lancet about uh, fatty acid, plated fatty acids and blood clotting tendency in Inuits compared to westernized people who eat, of course, chew stains. And this paper boomed or opened the whole. So at, at, at whiskey hours, uh, the next two or three months, this was the issue that was discussed at, at the uh, nutrition meetings. And by this the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids were introduced into human nutrition, research, science, and also into human food. Because from that on, which took rather many years, it was broadened out so that today we realize that, first of all, the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids have a lot of biochemical effects in our body and are essential for healthy life. And a deficiency, which I think we have in the Western world, not I think, which we have in the Western world, 
gives rise to deficiency symptoms, which can be or is a higher tendency of coronary heart disease, but also a high inflammatory tendency by rheumatism and things like that, and further on to a long series of effects that we have realized over these, let's say, 40 years of omega-3 research, because the first paper just dealt with plasma lipids, and then it came gradually in, have now deducted that the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, and then in particular, DHA, docosahexaenoic acid, and EPA, eicosapentaenoic acid, plays a huge amount of roles like the omega-6 derivatives, but modulating and balancing the effect of the maybe overeating of the long-chain omega-6 fatty acids that Western uh, communities tend to live under. Oh, that was uh, 50 years of science and living and experience boiled down to <laughs> 10 minutes of too many words, maybe. <laughs> no, Dr. Dyerberg, I don't think it was too many words at all, although I am curious, at that time, how did other medical researchers accept your findings? Oh, they were first ridiculized. And, and then suddenly there came substance and then there came clinical trials. The first major one was a GISI study, which was published in uh, 89 on my birthday, the 30th of September, uh, finding that giving a group of persons who had had a myocardial infarction, uh, 7,000, I guess it was, dividing them in two groups, giving half of them omega-3 fatty acid capsules and the other one olive oil capsules, they found a better survival and lower incidence rates of coronary reinfarction and a lower death rate and so on. So by adding up this, it was gradually acknowledged. Now there's no doubt that long-chain omega-3 fatty acids are acknowledged as essential component of human diet and human tissue, essential in biological functions of myriads in our blood and in our body. Uh, but, uh, of course, there can be discussions as to whether supplementation will lead to this and that effect on health. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Dr. Dyerberg, I'm eager to hear about your experiences in Greenland, but before that, I'd like to take a moment to clarify something. In the Western world today, there is resistance to recommending fish oil supplements because of the perception they cause bleeding. Now, we just heard part of your discovery was that omega-3s increase bleeding tendency. Could you say more about this, really to help our listeners understand and do you think people should avoid taking fish oil as nutritional supplements because of this perception? Yeah, thank you for this question, which is, a, of course, a very essential question, because if we just boil it down, 
Yes, the Inuits at that diet had a bleeding tendency, but we Americans and we Danes have a thrombotic tendency. We are not dying from bleeding. We are dying from thrombosis. We are dying from myocardial heart attacks. That's what we are dying from. That's a major cause of death in America and in Denmark too. And that could be boiled down to what about a person that are exposed to an operation? Should he or she stop taking fish oil supplements because of an increased bleeding risk? And that's a genuine question to raise. And uh, it has been raised in the scientific literature. And I think I'll, in that respect, focus on two works. First, this <laughs> a uh, paper in circulation, the American Heart Association's uh, journal, medical journal, where they went into the data from a major trial, the OPERA trial, including nearly 2,000 persons. I think it was 1,500 or something. And and uh, they found that if these, there were some patients who before operations took 8 to 10 gram of fish oil per day, and also did that after the operation. And there were other who did not take fish oil before operation and did not take it after the operation. So they compared these two groups, whether the fish oil group had a more bleeding tendency, more bleeding complications, or had an, a higher need for transfusion. And they found quite the opposite the risk of bleeding during operation measured on how much blood they lost during operation, which we weigh by weighing the serviettes and the extract and sucking out from the operation field, was lower in those on fish oil than those that didn't take fish oil. And when they measured after the operation procedure and when the patient was, was sent home, the number of transfusions these patients got the group that took fish oil before and during and after operation had a lower intake or had a lower consumption of blood transfusions. So it was quite the opposite. And they concluded they had, a, uh, there were no need for stop fish oil intake before and during operations. This has been a basis of a further, far larger meta-analysis of the, this paper here, which came nearly at the same time, uh, studying uh, 52 reported studies on bleeding risk during and after operation compared to groups taking fish oil or to groups who did not take fish oil before and after operation. And their conclusion was no need for discontinuation of fish oil supplementation prior to or after surgery because the bleeding risk was equal to or lower than those who did not take fish oils. So even if an intake of fish oil does shift the hemostatic balance from thrombotic towards non-thrombotic situations, the increased risk of, of bleeding due to physical damages in football or during operation or during birth has no extra risk on bleeding 
actually what they found was quite the opposite, which maybe has explanations due to the anti-inflammatory effect of fish oil components that dampens the inflammatory component in the wounds and thereby also dampens the bleeding risk. So no need for concern. Well, thank you for clarifying this important point. And going back to your Greenland experience, could you tell us a little more about the environment and the testing you did on your journeys? Yeah, yeah, we lived along with the, the Eskimos and we ate their food. Uh, I had raw seal liver and, and raw blubber, uh, and, and sometimes we boiled a bit of a kidney. And uh, uh, yeah, but but I lived happily with it. And, and, and sometimes, if we, how could you eat that? Because it tastes good. And you should remember, you're not standing on a sandy beach in Egypt with a dead seal and the flies are running. You're you're standing at a beach. Uh, hopefully in summertime where the temperature can be around the freezing point and the cold water is slicking in on the beach and he's cutting up a new killed seal and the blood is floating and it smells well and the dogs get a stone in their back if they come too near and then you cut out some fresh, well-smelling thing and, and live from it and it tastes well. And they've been doing so for centuries, and we did it for a few months, five or six times, and we enjoyed it. And you should remember a young man having this experience. Science is good, but for a young doctor being 29 or 32, experience on a dog sledge and shooting seals and fishing redfish and whatever is great fun. So it Beside the great fun from the science, the expeditions were great fun too. How many times did you take that journey to Greenland? I six times, oh, one wow. or two months at a time. So, as we sit here in 2021, what would you like the listeners to know today about that research and about nutritional health as it related all the way back to that journey of yours 50 years ago? The message is that, unfortunately, our Western-type diet, especially that one you eat in the United States, is very high in the omega-6 fatty acids, which is okay, but very low in the long-chain omega-3, so the balance has to be shifted a bit or something. And what is essential is that you cannot do that by cutting down on one thing, but only by adding up on the other, because you don't get more of one thing by cutting down on another thing. So this balance point of view is not my favorite. But there is a balanced function between omega-6 and omega-3, and we should increase the omega-3 side of our fatty acids in our diets. But if I should boil down what my work has really meant, aside from having 
nutrition to focus on that. And the parenthesis, we published our first papers in the beginning of 1970s, and I started adding up how many there came. And I was happy when I said, now there are four papers in the uh, literature. Today, there, there are 50,000 or something. So it has really meant something. But if I should add an area where I feel really we're touching something is that the deficiency of long-chain omega-3 fatty acids in females might give rise to a cerebral, I will not say deficiency, but in the newborns. However, it has been shown in, in rather many studies that pregnancy outcome is improved by adding a decent amount of long-chain omega-3 fatty acid to the mother's diet during pregnancy and during lactation. And if we can add to the brains of the newborns, I think we are really dealing with something. That is fantastic. And Dr. Dyerberg, I'm so appreciative of you taking the time today to walk our listeners through that. I, I, I can't thank you enough. I know how busy you are and I know your time is of demand and just being part of the program, I'm really appreciative of that. Okay, uh, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And I love telling this story. Yeah, that's my life. <laughs> thank you and goodbye and have a nice day this evening here. I'll go for a glass of red wine and relax Dr. Dyerberg, thank you so very much for being with us today. It's an honor for me to have the father of Omega-3s on this program. And thank you so much, listeners, for joining us today. And as always, be healthy, be well, and fight the good fight. This has been the science and the story behind Omega-3. Thanks to our sponsor, Wiley Companies. You can find them and more information about our show at wileyco.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Any statements on this podcast are the opinion of the scientific guest and or author and have not yet been evaluated by the FDA. The information we may provide to you is designed for educational purposes only is not intended to be a substitute for informed medical advice or care. This information should not be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any health issues or conditions without consulting a healthcare professional. If you are experiencing a health issue or condition, we suggest you consult with your healthcare professional. 